Welcome to the Impact Investing Podcast from Circa 5000. I'm Matt Latham. And I'm Tommy Gillicuddy. Remember, nothing in this podcast is financial advice, and when investing, your capital is at risk. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. We're back with another episode of the Impact Investing Podcast, and this week we're doing another Q&A episode. Hi, Tom. Hi, Matthew. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Um, so what we've got for like five or six questions, yeah. um, and question number one. Question number one is, um, is economic growth the only way to save the world? Well, I mean, I think this this is because we talk about, there's two things here, isn't there? We talk about um, investing long-term being a uh, a bet on the long-term progress of humanity yeah. and the, the fundamental things that underpin um, increases in valuation in the stock market or price rises in the stock market over the long-term are the growth of those companies and really the growth of those companies is is underpinned by economic growth in, yeah. the, in the economies that they operate in. So that's sort of, it's, a, it's an integral part of our um, belief in how to invest. Yeah. The other angle to it, obviously, is that in the press at the moment, the Tory government in the UK are publicly stating that they're going for growth and effectively growth at all costs. And, you know, they're desperately trying to get the UK economy to a 2, 2.5% uh, growth rate. So yeah. um, it's not as simple as, Yes, the only way to, yeah. to to go is for all out economic growth though, is it really? No, it's not it's definitely not a yes no answer. I think it's a I think it's a it's more of a yes with caveats, I think. I think it's hard to argue that um without economic growth we can't solve some of the big problems that we want to solve because if we increase the size of the pie, as you've seen over the last few decades, if you look at poverty levels and certain health markers around the world through economic growth. Um, and through channeling some of that growth to to certain demographics in different different uh, countries all around the world in different areas, we've managed to raise the floor a lot on these major issues. So I think it's growth with caveats, the caveats being where it's from um, and the caveats being growth as long as we're, we're building a sustainable future for ourselves as well at the same time. So not growth at all costs, but growth with a caveat, which is kind of what impact investing is. Impact investing is returns. Yeah with a caveat um, of, of where those returns are achieved from. So I think, um, I don't think it's the only thing to consider when thinking about saving the world. Obviously, politics and geopolitics and everything else has a, has a massive part to play in that. But I think growth, as long as it's from a, from, from, uh, done in a certain way, is one of the key ways in which we can help to move the world forward. Yeah, and I think, I think the other thing is, is you know, the evidence of, of how you progress humanity as a whole is, is, is you can have a big, big effect by raising the floor, yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, making the poorest people in the world slightly more wealthy has a huge effect on yeah. on on things. Um so that's that's obviously one thing. I mean, the there's there's alternative models to growth as well. I mean, there's something called um donut economics, which is about um the theory of making sure that the needs of humanity, the basic needs of humanity, you know, health and, and food and, and sanitation and all these type of things, a lot of which are in our in our yeah. sort of the themes that we we like to invest in, um, make sure those needs are met, but with a cap on not um, not having a detrimental effect yeah. on the environment, and that's sort of um, that's sort of an alternative model, which is yeah. which is you know trying to say, well, we need a system that caters for our needs as, as a as a species, but also doesn't destroy the planet that we're we're living on. Yeah, um, it's an interesting model, um, and obviously that that 
that requires more sort of redistribution of, of wealth and, and more of a like a circular, more recycling-based economy for that to, to properly work. Um, but fundamentally, human nature factors into growth as well. Yeah. So, you know, there's a there's an innate desire for people to better themselves and make themselves richer over over yeah. the long term. And and I suppose that's where it starts to um starts to maybe conflict, but you know, an exploitative model of growth where, you know, the the natural resources of the planet are just, you know, taken and sold for pure profit yeah. is probably, you know, too on the extreme really. Yeah. I think the I think the holy grail on growth is that the the size of the pie is increasing but everyone's, everyone has a first stake in that increase in the size of the pie and where it's coming from is sustainable both from a climate sense and from a, a, continu- a continuance sense. And so I think growth with caveats is, 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 a, is a key way to do it. Um, question number two, with interest rates rising, should I invest or pay down my mortgage? Is that you personally or...? <laughs> this is me coming to you for uh, some of my personal <laughs> financial advice. <laughs> so... Um, firstly, this is not financial advice. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it is an interesting question, though, because obviously the news this week is that it looks like um, base rates going to going to go up quickly and significantly. And you know, we're coming off the back of a period where we've had historic low interest rates for a long time. <clears throat> um, but the we even without the base rate increasing yet, mortgage yeah. market ha- the mortgage market has you know. Uh, gone into into chaos really so you know we've had half the providers pull out the market they don't know how to price their products um and you know a typical sort of two-year fixed mortgage now is almost at six percent already um before we've even had any further interest rate rises so i think the point is is it that and again this is the sort of it's not a cop-out of answering the question but it's it is true is it depends on your personal circumstances so i think the first thing I am doing and I would suggest others do is assess where you're at with your mortgage. So are you in a fixed term? How far into that fixed term are you? When is that likely to come up for renewal? Um, And then do an online mortgage calculator as to what your repayments would look like based on a much higher interest rate. So 6%. Potentially, <clears throat> potentially higher, potentially lower, but you know, 6% is the sort of rate at the moment. And then, you know, look at what that affordability looks like. So if you know that your fixed rate is up in 12 months and actually the monthly repayments are going to look significantly higher, then maybe it's maybe it's a good idea to sort of try and bring down the balance of that mortgage over over the next 12 months. If it looks like you still comfortably afford your repayments and that, and that you've got buffer there, then carry on investing monthly. But yeah. I think um, generally what we'd say about investing over a really long-term period is that Mortgages are not necessarily considered to be bad debt, right? Yeah. So you know, it's it's a it's a long term um, investment, if you like, in a property. Um, properties generally, over time, go up in value, and especially over the time horizon of a mortgage, uh, you know, thirty year mortgage or a twenty five year mortgage. So in normal times, you know, having a mortgage and investing at the same time is not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a short-term problem here, which is the cost of a mortgage is like cost of mortgages is likely to go up significantly in the short term. Yeah, um, and then the other thing I would just say on that is, uh, you know, there's a there's a culture in the UK of making your home mm. your investment portfolio or yeah, making yeah. your your house your retirement pot. And again, maybe maybe it's a good idea to to not have all your eggs in that one basket. So, is it better to have 
a diversified portfolio of different asset classes across different geographies? Or is it better to take a massive leveraged bet on a particular road in a particular yeah. area of the UK? Yeah. You know, my view would be, obviously, you need somewhere to live, but it's also a good idea to have an idea, uh, 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 one eye on um, diversifying as well. Yeah, I think, I think that's a key point. I think the... Uh the property market in the UK and some other countries is like religion to people and, yeah. and the, your whole life is about getting on the property market and and, and, uh, and owning a home and then doing well off that one and buying another house and buying another house. And that's quite specific to the UK and, and the US a little bit. But as you just said, it's, it's probably not tremendously wise to have all your eggs in one basket in an illiquid asset that's very, very leveraged. And so if you can afford to continue to invest regularly which, and for the long term, which is what we talk about, as well as paying for your mortgage, that's probably a decent strategy. Yeah. And priority should be don't default on your mortgage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so next question, Tom, is when will markets calm down? It's a great question. Uh, I wish I had a, a, a crystal ball. So I think all I would say on this really is that um, markets hate uncertainty. And we're going through a period now of change because we've, in the past 15 years, we've been in a relatively you know, uh, calm, benign period in terms of financial markets because central banks in response to the 2008 financial crisis started spending a lot, uh, printing a lot of money and using that to buy assets, which drove up the price of assets and kept interest rates low. Now that regime is kind of changing now and we've got some inflation that's coming back into, into the economy. Um, and that's resulted in volatility in interest rates, as we've seen last week, especially in the UK with the, with the UK government bond interest rates fluctuating a lot um, and stock prices moving around quite a lot because the market is trying to settle on what it thinks the future trajectory of growth and of inflation and uh, and and central bank action is going to be. Mm -hmm. So we're in a we're in a short term short term period of uncertainty, which is not uncommon if you look at the whole history of financial markets. Yeah, there are periods where things are quite benign and and, and things are going relatively calm, and there are periods of volatility. But I think the the most important thing to re to remember is not when will it calm down so I can get into the market, yeah. etc. It's to recognise that this is. Um, this is a short-term thing if you're a long-term investor um, and to stay true to the principles um, of what we've discussed and, and what you've set up your portfolio to do, which is to regularly build wealth for yourself into the long-term in a diversified way. So definitely pay attention to what's going on right now, but recognize that this period will subside at some point yeah. um, and stay and try as much as you possibly can related to the last question to stay invested, keep regularly adding to your portfolio monthly um, uh, to ease yourself in, to average yourself in over time and to try and stay the course in what is volatile markets. But just to reiterate a point, this is not an uncommon thing in, in, in yeah. the history of financial markets. It's probably just uncommon for most of us who haven't been through one of these periods before. Yeah. Um, but it's important to take stock and keep investing if you're doing so for the long term. Yeah, and, and you know, there's, there's, there's always, a, I mean, as long as I can remember and as long as I've been in this industry, there's always a crisis du jour. There's always yeah. something that markets yeah. are pointing to as the thing that could, you know, end the game. Yeah. I, think, I think reality is, though, is that the periods of, of rising markets far, far exceed the periods yeah. of, of declining markets. Yeah. And actually, volatility is the price you pay for long-term growth. Yeah. So the, the thing is, is, as you say, you set, you set, if you set that long-term time horizon, then you've just got to stick back to the basic in principle, the basic principle of investing, which is just shut out the noise, stick to the plan, yeah. and continue to think long-term. 
there'll be something else. And there'll yeah. be, there's something before and there'll be something after. There's always a moment and there's always, you can always find a reason not to invest or yeah. not to stay invested. But actually yeah. the most successful investors are those that stay the course, don't let emotions uh, override the the logic, which is to yeah. keep your money invested and, and remain there for a long time. As you said, you know, we, we, we started working in financial services in the aftermath of the global financial crisis, which then became the euro zone yeah. crisis. Yeah. And there was another crisis after that. We've just come out of COVID and now we're into this. Yeah. But during that period of time, financial markets have still performed over the long term. And so, as you say, there's always something in the short term, which which is uh, amplified to make you a bit scared, but just stay true to the principles and continue to invest long term. Number four, Matthew, how do I work out what size pension I need to retire? And this is also not a question for me. Yeah, so I mean, I think we've, we've talked a lot about pensions recently. We did the pension special. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, we've said before, you know, sort of getting a getting a handle on your old workplace pensions and understanding what what you have in pensions and, and sort of starting to take notice of that is a, is a good starting place. I suppose the natural next question is, well, okay, I've got X in a pension and I want to retire at some point in the future. Yeah. Um, and what, how much will I need? Um, you know, the, the, the first thing to, to do is probably to, to, to work out what a retirement lifestyle cost is to you in today's money. So, you know, most people when they retire have reduced living costs, i.e. hopefully you're mortgage free by that point, or, you know, you're, you downsize the, the, the place that you're living in and your rent's cheaper, but your cost of living should go down. Um, and then just work out what, what that income would, would need to look like. Uh, and then a rough, very, very, very rough rule of thumb is sort of, you know, times it by 20. So yeah. make the income portion 5% or ideally less. Um, the other thing to factor in is that, you know, providing you've been contributing to to uh, national insurance, things like that, you will have a state pension as well. So that's, yeah. there's a slice of income, you know, roughly say nine, ten thousand pounds which will be from the government, yep. and then the remainder of that income that you want in retirement will be made up from income from your por- portfolio or yep. your pension. Um, and a very rough rule of thumb calculation that's a good place to start is maybe you know that n- your income should be five percent or less of the of the value of the pension. Really, yep. so you can back it back it out that way. And then um, you know, then then you go on a pension calculator online and sort of do some forecasting. So you could say, mm-hmm. this is what I have in starting balance. This is what I'm going to contribute monthly. Yep. Assume a growth rate. You know, some of them will have them built in. And then it will tell you where your pot will end up. And therefore, you'll be able to then work out what, what income you'll reasonably be able to take from that. But, yep. you know, it's not an exact science. And, and, and you know, the, the short answer is put in as much as you can. Yeah. And you'll you'll get as much as much as you want out type yeah. thing. So as you said, I think it was last week on the pension special, that never met anybody that that over contributed to their pension and regretted it. Yeah. Um and so it, it can seem like when you do those numbers and it and it comes out with you need a big a big number, it can seem like an insurmountable task. But um putting as much as you can, you'll obviously build up your your income as you go through your working career. So you, you know your contribution should increase over that time. And then with the power of the long-term time horizon and comp- compounding, it's amazing to see what people yeah. can achieve with it. Yeah, and the, and the other factor is, is that, you know, you get the tax relief on pension contributions. So yeah. money that you are paying away to the tax man that you'll never see again can be brought back and used to, to sort of save for your long-term retirement. So it's money that you otherwise would have paid away and not got can be put 
into the pension so that the tax relief on pensions sort of supercharge it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think the first step is understand what you've got now, uh, look at look at whether you can simplify and then start to start to um, make contributions to the to the to the level that you can afford to really would be the short answer. Yeah. Sounds good. Number five. What happened to the to UK pension funds last week? What I, did happen? I will, I will, I will take this one. <laughs> there's, there is a long, complicated answer, and there's, a, there's one that I will try and keep relatively understandable and, and, and high level. So what we've just talked about there is defined contribution pension schemes, which is yeah. what most of us are paying into now in the UK. Yeah. That you, so that you pay in and your employer pays in, so you're both contributing, and at the end you're left with a pot. And that pot is then something you use to give yourself an income. That's the one that we're all paying into more or less right now. Now, the old form of pensions in the uh, in the UK and a lot of other countries was called defined benefit, where at the end of your working career, you're given a defined income uh, at, at retirement. So if you think about defined, and some people are still on these, mainly government and you know public yeah. service workers. Um, if you think about what that represents for the people that run those defined benefit pension schemes, it's they have to uh, guarantee that they're going to pay you know, the, the, the beneficiaries of that pension scheme and income when they retire. So that stream of income that they owe to uh, to those retirees is a liability to that mm-hmm. pension scheme. So that, that pension scheme then has assets on the other side that they invest in order to achieve income that they pay out as people's pension and retirement yeah. retirement yeah. funds. And what the defined benefit pension schemes do is they invest it in equities to achieve growth. And they also invest it in government bonds. And if you're a UK pension scheme, you tend to invest that in UK government bonds because it's the closest thing that matches your your potential liabilities. Yeah. And obviously what we saw last week was given the move in in, uh, in the UK government bond market, it decreased, it decreased the prices massively of UK government bonds, which increased the interest rates. Um, and what had to happen was the Central Bank of England had to step in to prop up the market. Yeah. Because what had happened was those the, the prices of those government bonds had moved so much that it it had impact impacted those defined benefit pension schemes ability to show that they could match their liabilities and pay yeah. out their liabilities. Yeah. And so it affected what's known as the funding ratios effectively. Yeah. And so these pension schemes were no longer as well funded as they were before. And so the Bank of England stepped in to shore up the bond market and in doing so shored up some of the big defined benefit pension schemes in the yeah. UK. And, and the point here is for you as an individual individual investor is if you have a if you have a pension, you know, with like a circa five thousand pension or you're even in a defined contribution pension, those they're not really affected by this. Okay, they're yeah. affected by the market movements yes. and, the, and the and the spill out in terms of the short term performance of them, but they're not they're not on this this thing where they have where they've made a promise to pay you a certain amount of income yes. in the future, and therefore they need to have enough assets on hand to be able to pay that out in yeah. future. So if you're an individual saving into a private pension or a, or you know a, a, a self invested pension, then that you're sort of not affected by yeah. that yeah. bit. Um, you know, and and your your deal, if you like, is that you will be able to withdraw what you pay in, exactly, and yeah. and, and uh, therefore you don't have this sort of liability matching yeah. uh, scenario. So. Yeah, so I don't think it's of any major impact to, to probably most of the people that are our customers and that listen to this. Um, and most of the defined benefit pension schemes in the UK were unaffected. It was just a few of the a few of the big ones, but that's what it is, and it's called that form of investing from pension funds that you may have seen is called LDI, liability driven investing. Yeah. So the pension funds that invest to match their liabilities, they had a bit of a short term issue, but it seems to have been steadied right now. Our final question today, question number six. Are there any reasons to be positive right now? 
you, you, and this again is not one of my own questions to you. you. You say, you say, are there any reasons to be positive right now? Like there's something bad happening at the moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's 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 a sort of obvious question to ask when when we're in an environment where you know inflation's soaring, uh, interest rates are likely to go up, mortgage rates are up, energy bills are looking more expensive, wages aren't necessarily rising. You know, there's a long list, especially, you know, you're looking in the UK of things, of reasons not to be cheerful. Um, but I think the I think the, the point is, is that we go back to what we, what we always say, which is in the long term, the short term doesn't matter. So yeah. these things are always transitory. And as an investor, your, your default position is that uh, over a long-term time horizon, the value of your investment should go up. So yeah. as an investor... Then you should focus on you should focus on what your long term objectives are, rather than getting sucked into all of the short term uh, turmoil, if you like. Yep. Uh, now that doesn't mean that there won't be a bumpy period in the short term. There, there likely will be. Yeah. I think the other thing I would just say is, in terms of sort of feeling positive, is in those moments of peak pessimism, which we have been in for the last few months, yeah. uh, all of the economic data, all of the stuff that's coming out is backward looking. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're looking at growth figures from, you know, three months ago, four months ago, five months ago, six months ago. And therefore, in that moment of like peak despair, you could all, you could already be, and I'm not saying we are, but you could already be turning the corner. Yeah. Um, and that's shown, um, there's, there's various indices out there that measure uh, sentiment and, yeah. and how people are feeling about the world world and one of those indexes in the in the us has been flatlined at, at the very lowest level of positivity for like the last three months but in september it actually ticked up quite a bit yeah so you know there is a little bit of hope there which is these positivity indexes are sort of starting to pick up the economic data is always backward looking and that volatility and turbulent times are more common than you think, but actually in the long run don't have as big of, big of an effect as you might think. Yeah. So Yeah, I think, you know, we 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 chat about a lot, you know, we're investing in long term human progression. And you you could say that the, the markets are a representation of that over the long term. But in the short term, they are kind of like an overreaction engine. Yeah. And I think the same applies to kind of us as, as individuals. Like we we often overweight the short term and, and underweight the long term. But I think when you're thinking about investments and what we are invested in, the long term structural picture for what we're invested in is still yeah. a very positive one. Yeah. And 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 we think it's the right place to have your have have to have your money invested for the for the super long term. And I don't think that picture changes. Um. And I think that is a reason to be positive right now. You're investing in these great companies of the future and building your own future at the same time. And I think that is a, in a sea of negativity, there's a reason to be positive in that. Sounds like a good place to end. So just before we do wrap up, I will say that, you know, we'll we probably do these sort of Q&A type episodes on a semi-regular basis. So if you do have any questions that you want us to uh, try and answer, um, <laughs> then it's podcast at circa5000.com. And thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Impact Investing from Circa 5000. Thank you for listening to Impact Investing, a podcast brought to you by Circa 5000. Remember, when investing, your capital is at risk, and this podcast is not financial advice. If you like what you hear, then please remember to like, subscribe, and share the podcast.